Hey everybody, I'm Garrett. And I'm Melissa. We've been married for eight years and have two kids, Caleb and Sadie. Over the last few years, we have fallen in love with the scriptures and are learning how digging into God's word has helped us grow deeper with each other and those around us. We want to be real about our lives, our struggles, and our joys. This is Growing Deeper. Hey guys, before we get to the podcast, just want to remind you to rate and review the podcast. That'll make sure that if somebody looks up Exodus or Ruth, uh, that they will be able to pull up our podcast and, and see what we have to say on different sections of the Bible. Also, if you have any questions or comments or things that you want to share with us, uh, you can email us now. We now have an email address of growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. That's growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you, even just uh, saying, hey, we're listening and really appreciate it or something like that. I don't know. Uh, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Now on to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> wow. Garrett bringing the energy tonight. Yeah. Uh, we're doing this on the 3rd of July, so you may hear fireworks in the background. We just heard some as we were about to start. And, yeah. uh, you so, well, yeah. There also may be moments where a screaming child gets up. And runs out. That and is also a possibility. That's very much a possibility during the middle of this podcast. We've had a lot of, a lot of nights of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah. And, yeah, um, it kind of leads us to what we want to want to talk about before yeah. we really jump into scripture tonight, and that's just kind of uh, taking a, a a moment to pause and reflect on what life has been like the last several few yeah. weeks. And um, just uh, being honest about where we are and, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, and for me, it, like, I, I think it, I really wanted to do this because last night we were we had planned on doing the podcast yesterday. Yeah. And we just got to the end of the day and we were just like, man, I just don't, I'm not feeling it right now. You know? I, yeah, it was and, like I didn't have the emotional energy to give to it. Yeah. That I was just so worn down by the day. And I just didn't feel like I would be, that my head would be in the right place. And it, it feels like that's the case more nights than not right now. In that you just, well, at least for us, some days it just feels like we're just, we're doing everything that we can just to get to you know, eight o'clock whenever we've gotten the kids to bed. And it, it, it feels like every minute is just a, you know, a, a plea for that moment. Yeah. Um. Which is which is really frustrating whenever you're in the moment and you're realizing that's what you're doing. Yeah, because you want to enjoy life. And, yeah. And these moments with the kids at the ages that they are are so precious, and they do a lot of funny and silly things, and they're, you know, they are fun, but there are other there are other aspects too. There are other seasons of parenting that are that are harder, mm-hmm. and Caleb has a lot of anxiety right now, so he's been scared at night of the dark and then just with what we call do the I, bad sickness do i have a bad sickness yeah. do i have a splinter yeah do i have something caught in my throat do i have a tick do i have <laughs> you name it and yeah. if he can think of it then he is listing it before he goes to bed more than once and part of it part of it is a stall tactic and part of it is he's genuinely scared yeah um and so just kind of navigating that and and learning to be patient and um it's just it's just been a challenging season in the midst of just everything else. I think it kind of compounds with everything else that's going on. And like yesterday, I just kind of had a, a little bit of time where I was just 
kind of depressed really about this idea of like the things that I'm missing out on um, because of COVID and the things, you know, I, I wonder if, if Caleb's going to get to go back to preschool. He loves preschool. I love that he loves preschool. I love the time that I get just with Sadie when he's at preschool and just the other, th- the other things that I'm able to do. Um, it's so good for him. And, you know, it's a time where we're not really sure what's going to happen right now. It's the plan, but, um, you know, I am a huge Tennessee football fan. I love watching, I love watching any SEC football on Saturdays. And so this idea that that might not happen or that it would be drastically different this year, is just kind of, it's one of the reasons that I look forward to fall. And it's just kind of like, as silly, it, it almost sounds silly to be sad about those things, but when you feel like everything that you look forward to could be taken away, it just yeah. doesn't feel good, obviously. Yeah. I mean, and so we really just wanted to open the door for that to just be like, it's okay to not have good days. And it's, it's a, I mean, and even the majority of the days sometimes is just, it, are not good days. Yeah. And, a se- a and I don't want to <laughs> pretend that that's not the case. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to pretend you know, and come on a, you do a, do a podcast and, and like try to be all happy all the time or pretend to be happy all the time. I love scripture. I mm-hmm. love to read scripture, um, and, and dive into it. It kind of, it, it has changed me in a lot of ways. Um, but I don't want to hide behind, behind a facade, um, pretending that every day is like a really bubbly day. I mean, I, we started or out this easy. podcast. Yeah, the, we <laughs> yeah. we started out this podcast like with this, you know, you know, welcome to the podcast or whatever. <laughs> but I don't want to pretend that that's like every moment, like yeah. and that and it, it's just not. Yeah. And life just isn't lived that way, um, right now and in in any time really. And yeah. so it it's just a, um, I want to recognize that, and to not I don't want other people when they listen to it to be like man I I wish I could be happy all the time like mm-hmm. you know if like, we're pre- yeah. if we're if we're pretending to be happy all the time yeah. then all of a sudden people are going to maybe say like I wish I could be happy like them or that our marriage was the way that their marriage is all mm-hmm. the time and our marriage just isn't all that isn't that way all the time mm-hmm. we have to work through things and we're frustrated with each other sometimes and we you know, and we fight over what we should do or what we shouldn't do, or we'll get mad because both of us aren't feeling good. And, <laughs> um, you know, and we, we have to work through those problems. It is not always easy. And actually most of the time it is a, it's, it's a battle to, to work on things and yeah. recognizing it, recognizing the problems that are in front of us to, to, to go after them. And so I, I guess I just wanted to, to, to highlight that. And I think, I think too, is like when we're not feeling it. So, um, when we studied the scripture a couple nights ago, it's like you, you have this choice of being like, okay, I'm not really feeling the study right now, mm-hmm. but, uh, we're going to choose it anyways and try to, you know, and like do it together. And I think by the yeah. time we get done with it, we're like, man, I'm glad I did that. Yeah. You know, we're, we're glad that we did that together. Sometimes actually I'd say more times than not, um, especially when you're getting started, you don't necessarily feel like doing something 
Um, just or like when you don't feel like doing something, that's almost like the more important time to actually do. It. Yeah, that's the that's like when you're really testing who you are. Yeah. Um, like I mean, and that applies to obvi- It obviously applies to scripture reading, and I think it also it applies to a lot of aspects of our lives, of like exercise mm-hmm. or just working on our relationships. You know, like just anything. It, when you don't feel like working on it that's when you really dig that's in. actually the most important yeah. moment is that you choose you choose it then yeah um it i mean it's obviously easy to choose it whenever you just want to do it right um but it but as you choose it over and over and over again even when you're not feeling it 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 will change you and it will it will mold the relationship it will you know whenever you choose each other whenever you're not feeling it that's the most beautiful form of love that exists yeah. is the the choosing of one another even whenever you don't feel like it right now yeah um that and is that's the way that these and, and relationships really, lived out and really like i know i mentioned tennessee football but i'm also sad about other silly things other on the surface silly things that i'm sad about are like potential tv shows getting postponed and movies getting postponed and like you can probably sense from the podcast that garrett and i love movies and television Garrett loves books too I'm less of a book person um but that is a huge part of like that's like one of our like hobby like we we love talking about movies and tv shows we love talking about Tennessee like we love talking about enjoying games together and so it's on the surface it seems kind of silly but it's kind of also a thing that like bonds us and it's like it's it's one of the like hobbies in a sense that we enjoy together and we love like we've had a few Netflix shows that we've been able to binge watch lately together and I'm like we we need to take these slow because we might not have another one (laughs) for months um but anyway so that's kind of part of it too and so just feeling those things kind of like they could slip away or like what's you know th- looking way too far ahead it's like what's thanksgiving going to look like this year yeah. what's christmas going to look like this year and just not knowing it just it it makes me realize those things that i took for granted um just being able to like so easily spend time with people enjoying the hobbies that we like when now so many of those people in my family are at a high risk Mm-hmm. of covid and so we're trying to protect them yeah so not to make this totally sad or anything yeah. <laughs> we just really wanted to to be honest yeah. um with with how we're working through things right now and i just don't want to pretend um and and so maybe that'll help somebody else i don't know yeah um but we're gonna we're gonna slide into you know what we've been doing uh over over the last few weeks and uh we're gonna start out uh Josh and Holly Guthrie have sent in some stuff, and so we're going to start out with uh, a question that Josh gave us. I've got a question for Garrett. So what is the funniest or worst thing that Caleb has done that you couldn't laugh at and you had to discipline him for, explain to him that it wasn't good behavior? All right, so this is a great question. There are tons of things that Caleb does uh, that absolutely embarrasses me all the time. Um, (laughs) And you just wonder, like, what am I doing? Um, and am I doing this right at all? Um, but I would say the, the funniest thing that's, that's happened recently, uh, that comes to mind, it, it's, it's actually interesting that it's so hard for me to actually think of what they are. I know. Uh, I feel like these moments happen all the time and I just, 
they just slip right out of my yeah, head. Yeah, and it's like, no, he embarrasses me all the time, but yeah. I can't think of specifically what they are. But anyways, the one that's that's most recent that I'm just like, that's that's the answer to this question. I've been taking, so I've been, I've been able to take Caleb camping uh, a little bit more since we've been in quarantine. I've taken him camping twice. Uh, and so as a part of that, you know, it's just been me and, or the first time was just me and him. And then you know, the other time was with the, with the yak group. And, um, but anyways, we, you, you have this four year old that you're trying to get to go to bed and things like that. And there's, it is a task to get children to go to bed, oh, especially the, the, the stall tactics are incredible. Yeah. Especially really, could win an award. Yeah, especially whenever you're when you're camping because you're like, I don't want to go to bed right now. I want to read, um, <laughs> but you need to go to sleep in the tent. And he's like, I'm so excited to go to sleep in the tent, but he doesn't ever go to sleep in the tent. <laughs> Anyways, um, so you're like getting them ready, getting them dressed, reading a book, and then you've got to go tinkle. And so we went to uh, Harrison Bay, and he there's like a little, um, you know, a little place to go to the bathroom a real you know a true bathroom over there so i walk him over there to, to go tinkle we go to bed and he just stays up and then no no fewer than five times did this child have to go pee during the night and it started with okay i'm gonna get it like he says he needs to go tinkle then i walk him to the bathhouse and we go tinkle and we come back and then, but about the time two o'clock rolls around, two in the morning, you're, I'm just like, I am not walking this child to the bathhouse to go tinkle. And so then I would be like, all right, just go, just go pee over there by that, you know, by that tree. Because nobody's awake, right? And so he goes and tinkles by the tree, he comes back. And then by the time 3.30 rolls around and he says, I've got to go tinkle, I'm just like, I just unzip the tent and just let him pee out the tent because I am just so tired of getting up at this point. I haven't slept at all and, you know, very frustrated. Anyways, so that I I started actually developing a habit I didn't realize for him. Yeah. And, um, and so it was so difficult, um, afterwards that we would just be walking along and that kid would pull his pants down. And just start tinkling where he was. Yep. And if he was outside. I yeah, mean, if he, he was, was outside, outside, not in the house, but the, yeah. he, he was at least house trained. Yeah. Um, but like there was one time we were down at the um, park. Down at yeah. the park. And all of a sudden, I just turned around and he's just peeing in the open air, you know, like out in front of, you know, everybody. And, um, and then he also the, did that at Yak Lake yeah, Day. Yeah. So the, like the one that, that really sticks out is Yak Lake Day. And that we had ever, you know, we, we've got all these yakkers, you know, or whatever, sitting out there on, on the water. And you actually told him like, go somewhere, some, where somebody can't see you. Yeah. And he just stands up on a rock and pees into the water. It's almost, it was almost like in front of a row of people as though it was like, here's a show. (sighs) Yeah. I would say that's probably the thing. It's just like, what? I you, feel like I taught him that. Yeah, and you, you, know, you do want to laugh at it, but then you also don't want to encourage. Yeah, I don't want to be like, "Hey, it's okay like, to just pee in front of a bunch of people." Right. Uh, you know, it's like we worked so long to be like, "Hey, your private it's parts our, are our private, private. <laughs> um, and don't show anybody your private parts." And then now, all of a sudden, he's just peeing out in front of everybody, and uh, and it it just. Um, it, yeah, totally embarrassing. And, and at the time with the yak thing, it was like I was in the water. And oh, I, we, was, I, I was, I was, I was kind of far. Were. Yeah, we were both in the water, and we just looked up, and he's just peeing in, you know, 
in the open air and in and the water. And there was nothing you could really. There's nothing. And it's you just could like, do what about what do I do right now? Yeah. I do, and and also like it's like once you get started, you're like, what do I do? I'm yeah. not like gonna like spank him or something right. like while he's peeing and then urine goes everywhere and then and also it's like once you once you start peeing you can't stop peeing you yeah. know and um so we had to have a conversation <laughs> we've had to have conversations about that yeah it's got it he hasn't done it recently um but the camping trip really set that off <laughs> yeah. where i was just like ah, i've made a mistake i have made a fatal flaw uh in the in the raising of this child but um but yeah, I would say that would probably be my answer. The thing that's just like, I you can't keep doing that. But man, it's freaking funny. <laughs> yeah, I I think he's he says stuff in the car all the time that yeah. is just like, I don't know. Or when I mean, this isn't really. I don't know if this really answers the question. But just like when he's trying to say a word and it kind of sounds like a curse word. Well, Sadie like, Sadie is real like she has, she says sit and shut. And, and those do not sound like sit and shut always. Yeah, they actually sound exactly the same whenever they come out of her <laughs> mouth, and they don't sound like sit or shut. Uh, and so she says that all the time, and she'll just say it over and over and over again, mostly like whenever we're passing by somebody on the street in a stroller. You know, yeah, but she also gets very, um, she's very opinionated now, so she'll like yell for you to sit. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. So that's pretty, you know. Yeah. But anyway, question wasn't about Sadie, but there you go. Yeah, so that, I would say that would be my answer. So the the next part what we have is uh, a scripture and reasons behind why this is an important scripture from Miss Holly. So I have a lot of favorite verses, but the one the verse that just kind of stood out of me stood out to me especially during this time is Second Timothy two verse seven, and it says, "Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything." So just thinking about being a new mother, this verse gives me comfort. Parenthood is an unknown and a new stage of life, but this verse tells me that God will give us the understanding we need to raise our child in the way of Him. This decreases my worries and fears, knowing that if we are ever unsure of what to do, He will provide us with the answer. So just today I was looking at stuff for a baby registry that different people were saying, oh, you should have this, you should get this. And just looking at it and just thinking, I have no idea what that's even used for. So just, there's so many unknowns and new territories that we will have to explore. But we know that this will be a time for us to grow stronger together and learn as we go. Yeah, I definitely echo um, Holly's sentiment on that verse. That's, um, there's a lot of opinions and different, you know, instructions out there coming from every direction on what to do when to do it, how to do it, as far as raising a child, and it gets a little bit overwhelming, so it definitely brings a little bit of comfort, um, knowing that, that, that he's going to provide that knowledge and um, that security that we need to, to raise this child together. First off, congratulations to Josh and Holly. We're really excited for you guys. I'm also really sorry that we started this podcast <laughs> with how difficult life has uh kind of been for us lately and all i can i'll there's just seasons yeah there's just seasons and some seasons are easier than others and that's true of life with kids or without kids and um it's you're going to be amazed at how strong you are you're going to be amazed at how much you grow 
Um, I love that I I love the idea here that Holly's bringing out of just kind of leaning into God and trusting that he's going to, you know, provide them the wisdom and the strength to be a parent. Yeah. You know. Um because that it it, it is a lot of that. I mean, we obviously our oldest is only 4, so we we're still rel- you know, relatively new at this and only know about things up to the age of four. (laughs) Um, but, um, I can tell you that I've become such a, like, stronger person and more. We both have. I I think we both have, it it has been, I don't think anybody is ready, uh, for kids. Uh, I, like it just, you just can't, there's certain things you just can't prepare for. Um, and it, and it is just like, you just, you figure it out. Like yeah. you, you learn how to deal with it. And, and every, actually, and every kid's different. Yeah. And so I it's think, like, there's no main, there's no, um, one size fits all for things. I think I've learned even more, uh, like with Sadie, because, because I think with Caleb, it was kind of like, you took care of a lot of stuff with him. And then it was like, once Sadie came, it was like, now we have both. Yeah. And you can't, <laughs> you know, it's not just like, you know, two on one. Now it's man on man defense yeah. kind of thing. And so I've, I have, I have developed a lot more even since, since Sadie has, was born. But I remember, um, so just wild, crazy nights, uh, first night with Caleb, um, just, I mean, there were, there were definitely hard, like it was that first time was hard, mm-hmm. uh, and figuring that out. But the thing I remember, like the thing that actually sticks out like most to me from like that night um, after, after Caleb was born was, um, was his first diaper. I had never, I had never, I don't know that I'd have ever changed a diaper before. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever changed a diaper before. And you were, uh, you were obviously tired and. Well, I, I had an epidural with Caleb. Right. And And so I still wasn't really You couldn't get up or anything like that. I wasn't really getting up yet much. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, I, being, a new father. I've never changed a diaper before or anything like that. And he had his first poopy diaper. And if you've ever changed the first poopy diaper before, it is not like any other poopy diaper that you will ever change. And so not only have I never changed a diaper before, but this one is the, like the weirdest thing. It is, <laughs> I'm just, it is black tar. The first poop of a baby is black tar. And I'm, I remember opening it like and just being like, I don't know what to do about this, Melissa. <laughs> and I was like trying, you know, from the bed, trying to like walk him through how to do it. And yeah. And then, then what? what happened? Oh, and then more came. <laughs> he and then, freaking and out. And there is not only is there black tar in the, in the, um, you know, in the diaper and on him. But more is coming now. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, it got to the point where he was like using like the sheet and the, um, I can't even remember what it's called. This is sad. But like the, the wrap. The, the swaddle. The swaddle. Yeah. Yeah. He was like using the swaddle and he, I remember him going like, well, we're going to need another one of those. <laughs> <laughs> and so with, with those hard times, just some reassurance that there'll be a lot of, just laugh at the hard and yeah. just laugh at the hard because it's it's a season, and it it'll 
get better and, and, and if try you can't, to laugh at the hard. If you can't laugh at it, though, it like I just want you to know, like it, you will get through that. Yeah. Uh, and um, it it really is like every bit of it is worth it, and um, and it makes us stronger. It's made us better, and it and it is like we've been supplied with what we need to know, like when we've needed to know it, mm-hmm. and. And you know, right now we're we're, we're th- working through discipline stuff with Caleb mm-hmm. and, yeah. and trying to figure that out. Of what methods and, we've gone back and forth with different ways of disciplining and yeah. and trying to figure out what's going to work for his personality and and for his age, what's appropriate, and you know, it's not always easy. No, but I I think I think all along the way we've been given, and even in that moment with me with that diaper, it's like I'm being given <laughs> all the things that I need to know in that moment. You know, for how to do this. Although I guess I could have probably prepared, uh, you know, like Jim uh, from the office, where he was like, I could, I could diaper anything. That, um, isn't that Dwight? No, no, that's Jim. Jim oh. does that. Yeah, he's like, I can put a diaper on anything. And uh, anyways, I guess I could have done that. But newsflash: um, the whole thing has to go yeah. in. Anyways, <laughs> um, so I, I just, um, you know, in that moment, we learned. And when we're continuing to learn as it's being thrown at us, you can't prepare for, for everything. And, uh, and we, we put our trust in God and that, I mean, that's what's going on here in the scripture. And I just appreciate Holly for seeing it and for recognizing it and putting her hope in that. I mean, just like with Timothy, he's trying to lead a church. Like he's like, I've never, I don't know what to do with these people. And Paul is trying to give him some assurance of like, Hey, you know, teach the things that I've taught you. And entrust other people with it, and let them teach too, um, and um, and basically he he's encouraging him be like you're gonna like you're gonna come to understanding. It's gonna it's gonna you're gonna figure this out. It's gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. And he's encouraging this younger brother in Christ um, who's trying to do and follow in Paul's example. Um, and he, he's giving him that courage in this moment. And so I think that very much translates to, you know, I mean, you know, me and Melissa have been, have been through this. And so like, we're here here to help with that kind of stuff. Um, if you have questions, it took me a while to figure out the whole swaddling thing. I like the little Velcro things better. I don't know that I can, I still don't know that I I can truly swaddle. I don't think I can, I don't think I can do a real swaddle either. I think I just always use the Velcro kind. But anyways, so all that to say is like, we're, you know, we're here to help with that stuff. And so like, we want to give that encouragement and also just, uh, repeat what you said and that like you will, it it is going to come, you know, like you are going to, to be given what you need in those moments. Well, and it's so overwhelming when you think of like, when you think too far ahead, it becomes overwhelming of how mm-hmm. am I going to take care of this this child, you know? And even, you know, I remember being overwhelmed by the idea of, well, how are we going to switch to solids or like solid mm-hmm. food and stuff? And just feeling overwhelmed about all those things like, when are we going to do that? And how are we going to do that? And just a day at a time, you figure it out. And... um just don't get too far ahead of yourself. And so I'm really excited to, I will answer Holly's question, which is kind of related to this um, on the next podcast. So I'm really excited to talk about that. And then um, next time we'll also get to hear um, Josh's uh, scripture. Yeah. So we're really excited about that for the next podcast. Um, but now we are finally going to jump into Exodus 2. Yes. 
So you want to give us a little bit of yeah, a recap? Yeah, so just to kind of, I'll briefly go over this. Where we left off was actually like a really sad thing. It's like, you know, Pharaoh is just grinding these people into the dust. Uh, and he, it seems like he's really scared of them. He is nervous about what they, um, you know, what they could do if they grow, if they grow even more, um, and continue to, um, flourish. And it just seems like the more he throws at them, the more they just continue to grow. And it, it, it just is completely, you know, undermining everything he's trying to do. And, uh, and so he ends the, he, we ended the last section of, um, that now he's, he's just outright said, every son who's born, you'll throw into the Nile and every daughter you will let live. And, uh, and so I think kind of the, um, I think we missed the opportunity last week of a song of, you know, do you know, hold on loosely, hold on loosely, oh, yeah. Yeah. but don't let go. But anyways, so it's like, <laughs> uh, but anyways, it's like the more Pharaoh tries to grip this thing, the more it's actually out of his control. Yeah. And it, it, it he's completely being undermined by God's people. And it's like, they don't even really mean to do it. It's just like, they're just like being fruitful and multiplying and filling the land. They're becoming numerous and we're starting to see the fulfillment of the covenant. So we're going to pick up chapter two now. Um, so you want to read this first section? Alrighty. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at, the, at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking around along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Yeah, so we have this introduction of this. Um, so now we focus in on this one family. It's like all of this oppression is happening to all of the Israelite families. Um, they're being resilient in these moments. Um, and now we have the focus on one family for, for, uh, I guess for the rest of this book now, um, where it points out this Levite, um, he's, it's like, there was a baby that was born. Um, and it's really interesting. Um, it says, and the woman conceived and she gave birth to a son and she saw him and that he was good. So, like, most translations are going to say that he was a fine baby, that he was a beautiful baby, or whatever. The Hebrew just says, like, and that he was he was good. So he saw it, and or she saw him, and he was good. This should be keying in on some things for us. Uh, that, the like, we kind of heard this phrase in Genesis chapter 1. 
He's, he, God makes these things. He looks at it. He saw it, and it's good. And so this is, um, we're, we're now focusing in on this baby, and we're seeing the baby is good. And uh, so I, I think it seems obvious, it should be obvious, this is going to be an important character um, as the, the story unfolds. And so she hid him for three months until she couldn't hide him anymore, and then she puts him in, the, in this basket and, uh, and puts him in the water. He goes down to the water. He's picked up by Pharaoh's daughter, um, who then um, takes care of him. And actually, it seems like you know the sister is watching. Um, I we're assuming this is Miriam, uh, Moses's sister, is watching as it goes along, and so they figure out kind of how to line this up. And by the end of this, actually, Moses's mom is able to to nurse him and uh, get paid for it, and get paid for it. <laughs> so it's like everything is working out pretty nicely. Uh, again, it's like the more Pharaoh tries to control it, the more he actually loses control. Yeah. And he, um, and it's like this character, like he was trying to kill all the baby boys so they wouldn't rise up against him. And ironically, it seems like that is what actually brought the deliverer into his own house. Yeah. And he, and he raises him. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, so that's just, that's kind of, a, I'm doing some spoiler alerts here, but um, with the story and looking looking ahead, but it's like his own like it's his own oppression of these people that's actually going to cause his own downfall, um, and that he he's just he's just trying so hard to hold on to them that he's just continually losing control. Yeah, and I kind of when I read this, I was kind of like, you know, why wasn't Pharaoh like upset or like, well, we need to kill this baby or you know like. Mm-hmm. There's no mention of really Pharaoh's response here to the fact that Pharaoh's daughter brought this baby into the family. But I think the difference here between, uh, you know, we you kind of hinted at like Jesus. Well, I don't know if I'm going too far forward or not with this, but you know, there was an order, and there was an order to have babies killed when Jesus was yes, born. Yes. And the difference there was that they were fearful of a specific baby, you know? Mm-hmm. And so here, you know, I feel like Pharaoh is probably like, what's one baby to let him live and be raised as an Egyptian? Cause I was at first, I was like, why wouldn't he just be like, no, you can't have this baby. It's a Hebrew boy. This is the rule kind of thing. But then from his perspective, he's not worried about like one single ruler coming up and like, you know, taking over. He's worried about a people as a whole and so I think he felt he probably if I, I'm just like projecting here, but I I assume he allowed his daughter to keep this baby because it's like, OK, one well, one baby, yeah. raise him as an Egyptian, you know, like, yeah. it's going to be fine. Well, again, it's a control thing. He yeah. he if it's if his baby's in his house, why is this baby to be feared? Because he can control what happens with this child. Right. Um, and so maybe that's not such a big deal. Yeah. It's like, what is one baby, especially whenever we can raise that baby, uh, and I'm not going to cause a problem with my, with my daughter. Right. Or whatever. I mean, he is Pharaoh, but it, it, I think that he is trying to, like, you can see where he, especially in chapter one, he's manipulating ways to like underhandedly, you know, deal with the fear that he has. And in this situation, it just seems like. Um, he's being undermined from the inside and making yeah. him feel like he's got control. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's actually got no control at all. Yeah, because she just made this decision on her own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it wasn't like let me go, let me go check with dad. You know. Yeah. Um, but also this, uh, this a little bit reminds me again of Esther of kind of like the is it coincidence or is it God, mm-hmm. um, and just, um, you know that it would be. Pharaoh's daughter to come down and just have the heart for this baby at this moment and you know for her to be like yes go get go get a Hebrew woman to and then you know to to where it could be his actual mother that's nursing him and taking care of him in those early you know months and and I guess maybe years um it's just really neat. Yeah. And I, and I think part of that, um, too, of like when we're looking at it as co- coincidence, I think one thing that helps me with that is it, could it be coincidence? Yeah, sure, maybe. Um, I don't think that's where the story's going. Um, right. But uh, in the narrative, so here's what happens it says that she, uh, they see that it's good, they wait three months, can't hide it any longer, and then she puts it. Puts this baby in a papyrus basket. That's what mm-hmm. most of the translations are going to say. That they're in a papyrus basket. Uh, I think the so I'm, I may butcher this a little bit, but the word the Hebrew word for the basket is a teva, or teba, um, and there there's only one other story that this uh, word comes up in the whole of the Hebrew scriptures. This word only appears in one other story, other than this one right here, and that's actually in the story of Noah. That that Noah goes into a teva, um, into an ark, and he's delivered through the waters. God purifies the land, and Noah is delivered through the teva, you know, through and through the waters, and then he comes out on the other side as God's, you know, as this righteous person who God is going to continue the human line through, and he's given the promise that or the you know, this, this order to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, that he's a start over of humanity. Yeah. Um, of, of he's a new Adam yeah. character. And so I think whenever the Hebrew author uses that word, he's very intentional with it. It only appears one other time. And now we have this new baby who is, who is redeemed through the waters in the Teva. Uh, and he comes out the other side. And so before that was God's, holy action that was his his redeeming work uh for noah it's god's redeeming work here too i think that's the author is trying to get you to do that and trying to make that connection and and so now we see like whenever we do that it's like oh maybe this isn't coincidence at all this is actually god's redeeming work through even pharaoh's evil yeah that he's actually setting something up that even in pharaoh's own house that he's going to become undone yeah, um, and so I, I think I think that's something that that that's happening right here, and like just a really interesting aspect of like this arc, this delivery through the waters. Yeah, um, that that we're gonna see as a repeating theme all throughout Scripture from beginning to the end. Yeah, uh, that that delivery through the waters. Um, so, um, you have any other thoughts on on this section? Any thoughts on daughters or or mothers or anything like that? I just well, I just wanted to echo the the arc comparison because I just thought that was so cool and it was kind of one of those like aha moments of just like these repeated themes of just the significance of 
even of really just water in scripture and God delivering us through and we know how powerful water can be and how he delivers us through those you know powerful difficult seasons where it seems like there's no hope mm-hmm. um, so yeah I just thought that was really cool do you want to yeah. read the next section sure alright so 11 through 15 and then in those days when Moses had grown up he went out to his brothers And he saw their forced labor, and he saw an Egyptian man striking a Hebrew man, one of his brothers. And he turned here and there, and there was no one. And he struck the Egyptian, and he hid from him, or he hid him in the sand. And he went out on the second day, and there were two Hebrew men fighting. And he said to the guilty one, Why do you strike your neighbor? And he said, Who appointed you as commander and judge over us? Are you intending to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid, and he said, Surely the matter has become known. And Pharaoh heard this matter, and he sought to kill Moses. And Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he lived in the land of Midian, and he lived at a certain well. So we kind of have this big jump in time, um, where suddenly here we are with grown-up Moses, and he's seeing a situation where an Egyptian is beating a Hebrew and he is not okay with that. And so he steps in and takes action and ends up killing this man. Um, It is interesting, too, that it it seems like he glanced around to make sure no one was watching. I think that's really important to the narrative. Why would he do that? Why would he glance around? So It's it's like he knew it was wrong. Yeah, and and, and also he hid the body. (laughs) You know, it's not like he went to Pharaoh and be like, hey, I caught this dude doing a bad thing, and so I killed him. (laughs) And like he's justified in the matter. Um, And so I, I think, you know, with this, we are, like, we are meant to wonder, is this right? It, the narrative doesn't outright say it. It doesn't say Moses was wrong in doing this. I think right. we're supposed to work this out and be like, okay, what was Moses, what he did, what was it right? I mean, we were, we just, we just got done saying they saw him and he was good, you know, and then mm-hmm. he has this delivery moment. Well, what happens just about every single time after that happens in scripture? Okay, we have the delivery through the water, like we have that it's good in Genesis chapter 1. But before we even get to chapter 3, they've already screwed it up. Yeah. Uh, and then in the story of Noah, it's like they get off the boat, and the very next lines are like, and he made a vineyard, got drunk, and, you know, and all. So it is, it just seems like whenever everything seems to be set, set up for reset, the character... This human character goes and screws it up in yeah, some way. Yeah. So I I think we're we're meant to kind of um, uh, you know, struggle with that, and that it's like, was it right or wasn't it? And the narrative doesn't always tell us, but we need to look around it to figure out what is, you know, what what happened here. Um, is it okay? And I think I think based off of Moses's reaction, he's kind of like, I don't think that was a good thing for right. me to do. I mean, he flee he flees whenever he thinks that maybe he's going to be found out. But <clears throat> so, but there, it's not like everything is bad either, right? There's mm-hmm. good characters, good characteristics that are going on here. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I I think we tend to put people like Moses up on a pedestal and not realize that they're human, they're human too, and our goal is not to be Moses. Mm-hmm. Um, there, our goal is to learn from Moses. Yes. 
And um, so just because he is overall good guy Moses doesn't mean that he always made perfect choices. Mm -hmm. And God can use us even when we don't make perfect choices. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden... We're useless to God just because we mess up. Right. And and we do we tend to do this with a lot of biblical characters. We either say, Oh, we're gonna drag this character over into good box and mm-hmm. you know, and then we'll drag this character over into bad box. But the, it's just not black and white like that. It's not always straightforward. And so what we have here is we have these two characters like characteristics and tension where Moses he sees his brothers in distress. They're under forced labor, and he's like, I need to do something about that. You know? It's not okay for this dude to be striking this other person. That's not okay. Yeah. Like It's not like the Egyptians, like, totally, you know, free of his problems here either. Right. Um, but he sees, his, he sees his brother being, you know, struck, and he does something about it. He seeks justice. The problem is, is that he seeks justice in the wrong way. And to the point where it, like, looks bad on him. Yeah. To whenever he returns to his brothers, they're like, who are you? Like, don't kill me, too. You know? And so it it's actually made him look bad in the situation, even though he was trying to, like, it, these are the people that he was trying to protect. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 you're my brothers. Yeah. And he doesn't, and he doesn't want his brothers to fight amongst themselves, either. I mean, right. that's why he's stepping in. And I think when I first first read this and the Hebrews respond like who are you to who made you ruler and judge over us and and they're missing that he was trying to protect them yep and at this point he's trying to say like you guys need to be on the same team mm-hmm. like you're brothers and um <clears throat> and so it's it's they're not seeing that part of him in this scenario which I think a lot of us have had a situation where we're arguing and maybe somebody tries to like cut in and you know, you have that situation where both people that were arguing kind of turn in on the turn on the mediator. Like, right. It's like, now we can be united against this person. <laughs> yeah. Yes. What are you talking about? Shut up. Um, so you kind of have that scenario playing out here and, um, it's just really interesting to me. And I kind of, I kind of like to think about Moses's thought process through all of this um, you know, he's really a Hebrew and he was raised with the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. Um, and now his own people aren't really uh, responding well to him, even when he tries to do the right thing. Well, he knew it was bad, but he's trying. Like he you're is saying, trying he to is do trying. the right thing. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of this interesting like isolating thing for Moses um where it's just like at the end of this he has no choice but to just run away and I just can't imagine how lonely he must have felt in that moment of being like I've made a mistake with how I handled that I didn't my intention was not that Mm -hmm. um and now you know I (laughs) Yeah. Nobody likes it. Yeah, <laughs> now he's like, well, I gave up basically my relationship with the Egyptians mm-hmm. in that moment. I gave up my relationship with the Egyptians, and my own people don't recognize me, so now I'm alone. Yeah. And now he's alone, and he goes off into exile. Um, and he, he goes east to Midian. Um, and it the, the narrative section that we were just at just has that he 
he lived at a certain well, uh, which comes preloaded since we since as good Hebrew scripture readers we have already read Genesis before, right? Being at a certain well uh, is important. How many other things have happened at wells before, and uh, and so that comes preloaded, and we'll kind of get into a little bit of that. Uh, and, and what all of that means. Did you have any other thoughts on this section? Okay, so let's fin- finish out chapter 2. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, we'll separate. stop at 22. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs, troughs? Troughs. troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Jershom, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. Yeah, so he flees out to this certain well. Uh, in the wilderness, and so again, this comes preloaded. Where have we seen this before? There's quite quite a few instances of wells. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is Hagar. She's actually run out of town uh, by Abraham and Sarah through their sin, the problems that they've had, and then but like what what ends up happening is that she meets God at a well, and uh, and she says that and we've gone over this in the podcast before. She says like you are El Roy, you are the God who sees. But more importantly, I think we're supposed to key in on the well narratives of the patriarchs. So uh, we have Isaac and Jacob and Judah. They all meet their uh, their future wives um, at a at a well. Well, really, for Isaac, it ends up being a servant that meets meets her at a well. Um, Re- Rebecca is met at a well, and she feeds the camels or and waters the camels, things like that. Anyway, so these you. They meet these women at a well, uh, and they something happens, and then ends up they get married, and the line is continued, goes on. Anyways, so all three of these characters, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah, uh, these things all all happen, um, where there's this interaction at this well. Um, primarily, I want to uh, think about with with Jacob, uh, with Jacob, Jacob. What he ends up doing is that he he's actually fleeing his brother Esau because he did something wrong to Esau. Actually, Jacob is in the wrong in that story, that he did something really selfish and tricked his brother out of his birthright kind of thing. And so he flees his brother into this, into this foreign land and goes to Uncle Laban, and he ends up at this well, and I think the way that the story goes is that he, like the, uh, you, you've got um, Rachel, um, who is coming to water her flock or whatever, and he like, he kind of goes beast mode and moves the stone out of the way for her so that she can access the waters, she can access this well. And so he's kind of like, you know, I'm a big guy and I'm awesome, and he's kind of flexing his muscles for her. Anyways, what he does, he, he's essentially removing these roadblocks to the well so that she can have access to it and so that she can water her flock. And anyways, what ends up happening is that she goes and tells her father about it. Laban's excited about it. 
they end up getting married. Can you see the parallels here? That now we've got Moses, who's going, he's in a foreign land, fleeing from somebody that he wronged, um, and something that he did that was stupid. And now he's having this interaction with these women. He clears the path for these women so that they can access the well, so they can have this opportunity for life because that's what wells were. They were these opportunities that, I mean, they were symbols of life in these places out in the wilderness. I mean, we're talking, you know, hot desert land um, that if you have access to a well, that's, that's a source of life. And if somebody is keeping you from that well, they're actually like sentencing you to death, you know, if you can't get to the well. And um, and so what Moses does is he shows up. He's still the same Moses that he was before. He sees something that needs to be done. He runs off these jerk shepherds and he allows these women. Jerk shepherds. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and he allows these women to access it. And what do they do? They get up and they run back basically and go tell their father what happened. Yeah. And he's excited, and he's like, hey, have this man come and eat with us. So fast you know? forward. Yeah. Well, fast forward to what? Jesus. Okay, so what <laughs> happens with Jesus? So, oh, you don't, <laughs> I, I thought you were wanting to <laughs> do it. Go on. <laughs> okay, so uh, again, when we see these stories, they're repetitions, and they're on purpose. And so whenever John sees this happen, in, in John chapter 4, Whenever he sees this happen with Jesus, he's like, this is important. It's actually like one of the like major narratives in the story. And it's like he meets this woman at a well. She's not accepted by her, by her group. She's alone. And he meets her and he has this conversation with her. He asks her to draw water for her, very much like the Rebecca story. And then she does, you know, she's like, why, why do you ask me? Um, and he's like, Hey, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for living water and I would give it to you. And she's like, what, you know, what is going on here? And she's has all these questions and stuff. And, and basically what to try to try to put this in a nutshell, what Jesus does is he sees this woman longing for life and longing for a drink from this well. And not just this, not just this physical, like, uh, you know, well of, of water, but that she needs something even more, that this these living waters that she needs to drink from. And what Jesus does is just like Jacob and just like Moses, she, he just clears this path. And he's like, no, 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 no. This is like, you think, you know, you, you'd think that I am here telling you you need to go worship in the temple and you're like, hey, we have our own place of worship and stuff. No, no, no. There's going to be a time where everybody is going to worship in spirit and in truth. And he's like, there, you're, you're, the access to this water is through me. And she just kind of has this realization of who he is and what it means. And what does she do? She runs back. She figures out what, what's going on here. She runs back to her town and she says, listen, come and see this man who's told me everything that I've ever done. And she's overcome by him. And not because of the physical waters at this well, but because of what he can provide. So it's like, there, it, Jesus is taking this narrative, this repet, repetitive story, and showing what it's always been pointing towards. Mm-hmm. That he is the one that's fulfilling this up, and and that he is giving access to the waters. Yeah, and that he's going, that he's going to give give his people and his followers this living water uh, that's drawn from this well, the source of life. He is that source of life. Yeah. Um, and so I, I I think that's really cool. I think that that is so important for us to see 
the both the pattern of before, the pattern for what it's doing right now, and for what Jesus takes it and does with it. Something else that I think is cool about this that we talked about the other night was that, you know, these these men that go to the well are the quote-unquote chosen ones. Mm. Um, and they're from a certain lineage. Um, and they're, you know, like, you know, Moses is part of what's going to go ultimately to the promised land. And so at all these times when they meet these women at the well, they are inviting them, these like foreign women, in yes. to what they have. And um, to be kind of part of ultimately... You know, Moses is going to, Moses's wife, Zipporah, is going to be a part of this journey now. And kind of this idea of God inviting everyone in and not restricting this to a certain group mm-hmm. of people. Um, and that he's using these moments at the well to make it known that other people are welcome. Yeah. And that he wants them to know about it and to share it with others. Right. Yeah, and actually, and Moses is going to catch heat for the fact that his wife is Midian later uh, and not part of the, quote, Israelites. But mm-hmm. it's like this was always part of God's purpose to bring in the foreigner. Right. And to unite them even with, you know, with his chosen people, that they would be the way. It was going to be th- through them that they were to access the waters, that they were supposed to be able to access God. Yeah. Not that they were supposed to keep them from God and be like, no, God is yeah. just for us. They were always supposed to be the kingdom of priests, not a kingdom with priests, a kingdom of priests. That they would be the way that the rest of the world would be able to interact with God. And and not just not like keep him at bay, but actually invite them into the fold. And so I yeah, I think that each of these narratives with these foreign women, uh you know, in Ruth, like we do that with Ruth too. It's like this foreign woman mm-hmm. who's part of the lineage now. Yeah. And that comes into the fold. It's like this has always been a part of God's plan. Uh, that the, the, It's these aliens and foreigners that are being brought into the fold. Not, hey, we're separating out from you entirely. There is this part of being holy. Yeah. But it's not to be holy so that you can't come in. It's actually like when you come in, you become holy too. Mm-hmm. And we want you to come in. Yeah. Um, and speaking so. of Ruth, this section reminded me a lot of Boaz from... From the book of Ruth um, and just how Boaz had kind of gone above and beyond for Ruth and providing her with um, food and just every, all meeting all of her physical needs and meeting all of really all of her needs in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but Moses, it just it feels like he's really going above and beyond um, by first off, you know, rescuing these women from. The jerk shepherds. Yeah, the jerk shepherds, um, yes. And then also, you know, watering um, their flock and just, you know, drawing the water for them. Um, those are things that he didn't have to do. You know, those women, that it was their job for them to go and, and do that, and he steps in. And to me, when you combine this section with the section before, um, with him killing the Egyptian to try to protect his Hebrew brothers, um I think you can see a lot of leadership qualities in Moses of just how he sees an injustice and he steps up and takes action and makes a decision and, and, you know, does something. Mm -hmm. And does not mean he always does it the right way or, you know, perfectly? Um, 
but he has a a drive to take action and I think that that's something you want in a leader of somebody who will step up and you know try to try to make things right um and then also I love here how you kind of I don't know there's something about this that just feels kind of humble to me of you know he doesn't ask them really for anything I mean they just kind of go on their way and he's just I don't know I I feel like he kind of makes himself lowly by getting the water for them and taking care of them in this situation and so I feel like there is some I do get some sense of humility from him here and that could be in part because of like he knows his situation right now and he's just you know I don't know, you yeah. know, feeling lonely and. Well, I mean, I think that's how this section ends. It's like yeah. and she bore him a son, and she and he called his name Gershom, because he said, "I am an alien in a foreign land." And so, where he is right now in the story is he kind of feels alone. Yeah, he's like not trusted by his brothers, exiled by his by who he grew up with as mm-hmm. his family. You know, and he has no one, and now he's like... He's sort, of, he's sort of a part of three groups of people, but not really. <laughs> yeah, not a part of any of them. Yeah, but yeah. not, yeah. Yeah. He's, you know, he kind of... Any one of those groups would kind of make sense for him, but he's not truly part of them at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so... Uh, but anyways, one, one thing, uh, just to back up a little bit with this providing water... Well, and really, I want to back up entirely. I, I think that this whole chapter... And we haven't finished it just yet. But this whole chapter, I think, is um, is reflecting on and looking forward to the things that are going to happen. It's actually foreshadow. It's foreshadowing what's going to come. And so we have this, this person who, like this chosen one, that's delivered through the waters, right? Comes out the other side. The Egyptian is struck down. Uh, and then he goes out into the wilderness, into Midian, right? Uh, and so we're we're going to see that play out. Uh, and so and whenever we get to those points, I'll reflect back on those. But I just wanted to highlight, I think a lot of this chapter is foreshadowing. And especially this part here, and this is what John Selhammer writes uh, concerning this watering. He says, just as Moses was to provide water for God's people and their flocks throughout their time in the wilderness, so also Moses provided water for the daughters of Jethro and their sheep. Uh, and so this, and he's called Ruel here, but he gets called other names as well throughout it, his father-in-law. But here, Ruel means uh, friend of God. He's friend of God. And um, so anyways, just, this is foreshadowing that he's he's taking this initiative to water these sheep of these women. Well, in the future, we're going to come on these points where he waters the flock of God. Uh, his chosen people who get delivered through the waters. Um, and so, and then they go out to the wilderness and that, you know, that's going to be actually probably the majority of this book is actually spent in the wilderness. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll finish up here uh, in the starting in 23. And then during the, those many days, the king of Egypt died and the Israelites groaned because of their, of the work and they cried out and their cry for help because of the work, because of the work, went up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God saw the Israelites, and he took notice. Or in other, word, in other words, he remembered was, them. Yeah, right? I have in mind it was concerned about them. <clears throat> okay. So again, it's a repetition. Um, this is looking at, actually looking back 
uh, to the ark. So whenever he was, you know, Noah uh, was on the ark for a long time, you know, uh, I think upwards of a year. I can't remember the actual duration. It was 40 days, 40 nights of rain. And then I think he was upwards of a year at that point. And it says that then God remembered Moses and then the water, you know, start receding kind of thing. Um, and so anyways, it's a, it's a repetition of that and that he's remembering his people. Now, this isn't like God had actually forgotten about his people throughout. I think the whole point here is that even while all of this was happening, God had them on his for on on the forefront of his mind. It wasn't just that big, like following them crying out. It's like during their crying, he's still remembering them, and he's he's waiting, you know, really for the opportune moment to take advantage of what's going to happen with with uh, with Pharaoh. But uh, it, what we get here is like this transition from the king of Egypt died. Um, and it's it's interesting. I think this is a chiasm, but I'm not positive on it. Uh, but if you if you read it, you can you can see how everything works together. It says that um, king of Egypt died, and then here's where it starts. It says the Israelites groaned because of their work. Then they cried out, and then we start backing out of the chiasm. They cried out, and then they groaned, and God heard their groaning, and then He remembered. So. The king of Egypt dying is actually paired with the God remembering, in my opinion, of just looking at it. And so it's almost like, you know, in these moments, it's like God has always been there listening to it the whole time and not necessarily just saying, I'm not going to do anything about it, but waiting for the opportune moment to, to do something. And he's, he's always with, been with them throughout all of this, all of this groaning. And actually, that's kind of what this chapter has been about. It's like he's you know, he's bringing up Moses and he's, he's bringing up that deliverer. It's just not necessarily in our time that it always happens. So you have any other thoughts on this? No, I mean, I just, I love, I do love this sec, the end of this, of just like that God remembers and that God is, I, I, there's something very sweet to me about God being concerned about us. Mm-hmm. Um, because I definitely feel that way as a parent, you know, where I'm just like, they're always on my mind kind of thing. And uh, I just think that that's kind of a precious thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll we'll kind of end with this. This is just a little quote from John Sandlehammer's uh, book, The Pentateuch's Narrative. Um, he, he writes, um, and this is in general over chapter two, but he says, the use of irony is common in Old Testament narratives. It shows that God is indeed at work in the affairs of the world, and that despite human efforts to the contrary, he will bring about his purposes. This was no mere coincidence. This was God at work.